0: Hey there. Thanks for listening to the Greg Laurie Podcast, a ministry supported by Harvest Partners. I'm Greg Laurie, encouraging you, if you want to find out more about Harvest Ministries and learn more about how to become a Harvest Partner, just go to harvest.org. Hey everybody, why don't you grab your Bible and turn to Acts chapter 3 and 4. We're in a brand new series in the book of Acts that is called The Upside Down Life. And so we're gonna find out how these early believers impacted their world and what we can learn from them. There's a lot to learn from the first century for us who are living in the 21st century. Let's pray together. Father, we ask your blessing on this time of Bible study. We think of young Samuel who said to you, Lord, speak, your servant is listening. So Lord, we're listening to what you have to say. We need truth in a world that is filled with outright lies and half-truths and distortions and all the rest. And you've told us in scripture, your word is truth. So we commit this time of Bible study to you now, in Jesus' name, amen. So my wife Kathy and I had an anniversary a number of years ago. It was a big one, I think it was 40. We've been married 48 years, but this was 40. So I had to go beg her, stay home, right? So I I went to a nice store, I bought her a nice ring, and I put it in a nice box, okay? So I was gonna give it to her that evening, but I went to a toy store before that, getting something for one of my grandkids, and I saw they had those little mood rings for sale. Have you ever seen a mood ring? Uh, and I thought, well, look at that little ring, and I held it up and I thought, you know, if this was packaged right, someone might think this is a really valuable ring. So I had this idea. I'm gonna buy this little mood ring, which was like $3, and I'm gonna put it in the box of the more expensive ring, and I'm gonna present them both to Kathy. So that's what I did. Later that night, I said, I got you not one, but two rings for our anniversary, but here's the problem, you have to pick one. I can't afford to give you both. And she literally deliberated over the mood ring that cost almost nothing and the other ring that cost something. And she said, I can't decide, but I picked this one. She picked a nicer ring, fortunately. And then I said, okay, you can keep the other ring as well. She was so excited that I told her, I bought that in a toy store. It's called a mood ring. But, you know, it's all about packaging, isn't it? And packaging can make something that isn't really that valuable look more valuable. Well, I bring this up because as we're working our way through the book of Acts, we're gonna see how God used certain individuals, the apostles and others, to change their world. And we're gonna look at some imposters that enter the narrative, especially in Acts chapter five. One couple in particular named Ananias and Sapphira. We could identify them as counterfeit Christians. But you know, here's the thing. We don't know who true believers are often. I've said before, there'll be three surprises when we get to heaven. Number one, some of the people we thought would be there won't be there. Secondly, some of the people we never thought would be there would be there. And thirdly, we'll be there, right? But it's not, we won't know till later. Because it's not just how you start, it's It's where you end up. Example, Judas Iscariot was an apostle in good standing while some guy named Nicodemus was just finding his way in. But in the end, Judas betrayed our Lord for 30 pieces of silver and Nicodemus, the Jewish ruler, came through for Jesus uh, after his resurrection. So the point of all of this is we'll just have to wait and see. I bring this up because on October 3rd at our SoCal Harvest, our one-night event at Angel Stadium. It was packed with 40,000 people. And when the invitation was given, we saw 4,000 people walk down on that field and make a public profession of faith. Another 200,000 watched online. That might have been some of you. So all told, we saw 6,350 people pray that prayer. I told those people that God loved them. I told them that he had a plan for their life. I told them they were sinners separated from him by their sin. I told them if they would turn from their sin and put their faith in Christ who died on the cross for them and rose again from the dead, he would forgive them. I told them to repent of their sins as well and I pray they will stand the test of time. But we call them professions of faith, not conversions. Only time will tell if they're really conversions. What we need today are Christians that walk and talk with Jesus, people that radiate God's love. It's been said Christians are walking epistles written by God and read by men. You're the only Bible some people are ever going to read. As I've said before, there are actually five Gospels in the New Testament. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, and you. <laughs> you, I, us, were the fifth gospel, simply meaning people are watching us. Well, before us in this uh, text that we're gonna read in a few moments are these individuals, uh, Peter and John in particular, who walked with Jesus, and it was said of them that they had been with Jesus. It was noticed by non-believers that these men had been with Jesus, You know, let's say you laid out in the sun for too long and you got sunburned. Someone might say, hey, you've been in the sun. How do they know that? Because you're as red as a lobster, right? When you've been with Jesus, other people are going to know. In fact, we read here in Acts chapter four, the members of the council were amazed when they saw the boldness of Peter and John, for they could see that they were ordinary men who had no special training, They also recognized them as men who had been with Jesus. I love this. Ordinary men with no special training. But they reflected Christ. They radiated Jesus to others. And this is really what happens when we become a Christian. Christ comes to live inside of us. It's not like we're just trying to imitate Jesus. This isn't about imitation. This is impartation. And by that I mean this is Christ coming and living inside of us. The Apostle Paul wrote in Galatians 2.20, I am crucified with Christ, nevertheless I live. Yet not I, but Christ who lives in me, and I live this faith by the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. But there it is, Christ lives in me. And if you're a Christian, listen, Christ lives in you as well. But what is a Christian? I mean, oh my goodness, this, how people see Christians today is so not how God wants us to be. We have these stereotypical views of Christians that they're narrow-minded, they're mean, they're angry, when it's the very opposite. Real Christians are loving people. Real Christians are caring people. Real Christians are like Christ. You know, Christians didn't get together and say, let's call ourselves Christians. Christians, they were identified multiple times in the book of Acts as people of the way. Even the apostle Paul, before he was converted, said I was persecuting those people of the way. That's how they were identified, people of the way. What way? The way of Jesus. Remember John uh, Jesus said in John 14, six, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no man comes of the Father but by me. So these Jesus followers were people of the way, But non-believers came up with this new word, they're Christians. By the way, that was not a compliment. It was a derogatory expression. Back when I was a young Christian, we were called Jesus freaks. (laughs) It wasn't meant as a compliment. I remember when I transferred to Harbor High School, before I was a Christian, some of my non-believing friends warned me. They said, Lori, be careful. There's a lot of Jesus freaks on this campus. And I said, the last thing Greg Laurie will ever become is a Jesus freak. Famous last words. Well, now it's used in a positive way. Oh, you're a Jesus freak, or I'm a Jesus freak, but Christian was not really a compliment. Actually, a literal definition of it is party of Christ. So non believers were saying dismissively, Oh, they're of the party of Christ. They're, they're like little Christs walking around. That's actually what you call a backhanded compliment. Like when you go into a restaurant, maybe with your family, they ask you your name. I'll say, well, Lori, party of two, and they'll call you out. Lori, party of two, your table is ready. Or if you're alone and angry, they'll say uh, bitter, party of one. But I'm proud to be part of the party of Christ. I'm, I'm proud to be called a Christian because that's really what we all are. And when you've been with Jesus, people will know. Let me ask you this. Do you think people can tell you're a Christian not by what you say but by how you live and what you do? As it has been said before, if you were arrested for being a Christian, would there be enough evidence to convict you? And by evidence, I don't mean how many Bibles you own or how many Christian bumper stickers are on your car. By the way, uh, you can overdo it with bumper stickers. I've seen some people, they have like 25 stickers on their card. That's just too many. Just take them off now. One or two, do the trick. But anyway, that's not the evidence I'm talking about. I'm talking about the way you treat your family. I'm talking about the way you do your work. I'm talking about the way you treat your neighbors. Real evidence that shows you are a true Christ follower. People should be able to see that. People should be able to say, you've been with Jesus. Peter and John, along with the other apostles, were there at Pentecost. The power of God had fallen on them dramatically. Uh, We read that there was a sound of a mighty rushing wind filling the room and divided flames of fire rested upon each disciple as they received that supernatural power. But now Pentecost is over. And the little flames are no longer visible but they'd been replaced with burning hearts. Their hearts burned for Christ because Jesus said in Acts 1-8, you shall receive power after the Holy Spirit has come upon you to be witnesses unto me. So as we come now to Acts chapter three, we have the first miracle of the early church. It happened one afternoon when Peter and John were headed to the temple to pray. It was a day like any other day. We don't read that an angel said, go to the temple and there'll be some guy that God wants to heal today, nor do we read that there was a pillar of fire guiding them to the temple. It was just a day like any other day where they were going to pray. By the way, that's a good discipline to say, I, I pray at this time in the day, or I always start my day with study of the scripture. These are good habits, and so, this is what they did. A day like any other day, doing what they always did, they went to, to temple to pray, but there was a great opportunity waiting for them right there. And we don't always know when those opportunities are going to open up. That is why the Bible says that we should be instant, in season, and out of season, or as another translation puts it, we should be on duty at all times. So a good thing to pray in the morning is, Lord, I belong to you and I'm available I'm available to be used by you today. I'm available to speak for you today. I'm available to be led by you today. So Peter and John go into the temple to pray. And, uh, and here is a man who is sort of a fixture there at the temple who would ask for money. You've seen people like this out on the streets, maybe in your city, holding little signs, homeless. Please help. That's what this guy was like, but this man had not been able to walk, 40 years old, never had the use of his feet, and he was just waiting there. Here's something I wanna point out as well. No announcement was made ahead of time, and a miracle was going to happen. I bring this up because sometimes you hear about certain preachers who say they have healing ministries and miracle ministries. So come to our miracle service tonight, they'll say. There's not a single miracle service in the Bible. Miracles happen when God wanted them to happen, where he wanted to happen, in the way that he wanted to happen. They were never announced ahead of time. They didn't have a little flyer they were handing out. Come to the miracle service at the beautiful gate. Peter and John pictures of both of them. No, it's not like that. They were just going about their normal business and God stepped in. And the supernatural invaded the natural. So as they're walking by this guy, he's looking up for money and Peter, loose paraphrase, says, buddy, I don't have any money for you, but I have something far better. Look at me right now. And then he says, in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk, and now he takes it to the next level. Peter reaches down, takes the guy by the hand and pulls him up to his feet. Oh man, that could have gone south so quickly. Because if that guy wasn't healed, he would have been pulled up and he would have crashed on the ground and everyone would have said, what are you doing? Who do you think you are? That was such a bold step of faith that Peter took. But the man was healed. And the Bible tells us that this man was walking and leaping and praising God. He was so excited. Here's what I found. When I take a, take a step of faith, God gives me even more faith. Then I take that step and God gives me more faith. But all, it all begins with you being willing to leave your comfort zone. For you, having a willingness to take a risk, to take a chance. Now, of course, you can always fail. But if the Lord's leading you, I believe you will succeed. It's been said, the doorway of success is entered through the hallway of failure. So sometimes we do certain things and don't go as well as other things. But be willing to take risks for the kingdom of God. I mean, I admire Peter. You know, sometimes Peter's criticized because there's a lot of ink in the Bible about his statements. Peter always spoke his mind. You know someone like this? You always know where they stand. They have an opinion on everything and they make sure you know it. That was Peter always opining on this and that, even correcting Jesus on one occasion, and so we have a, a number of statements of Christ kind of putting Peter in his place. So yeah, he, he talked out of line a few times, spoke out of line a few times. But oh man, the steps of faith he took, this one was amazing. How about when he walked on the water to Jesus? Remember that story? Jesus was walking on the water and Peter says, Lord, if it's you, tell me to come. Now we all know that Peter started to sink, but let's not miss this big thing. He said, Lord, if it's you, tell me to come. Jesus says, come. And Peter literally walks on the water. Not for that long, but he did walk on the water for a time. No other apostle volunteered to do that. And if it was not a good thing, why did Jesus say, come? Sure, Peter took his eyes off the Lord for a time, and Jesus had to pull him up and save him. But the fact that he was willing to walk on water to Jesus, this guy had faith, and he used that faith. Uh, We read in Acts here, in Acts 3:12, that Peter saw his opportunity and addressed the people. See, it wasn't about the miracle. It was about the opportunity. Oh, the miracle was glorious, but the miracle set the stage for the gospel. So Peter preaches the gospel to this crowd of people. He tells them that Christ died on the cross for their sin. And don't forget, the crucifixion was not that far in their past, and it happened recently. So this was an event they were aware of. Many of them were eyewitnesses of it. He said, Jesus Christ, who you crucified, who is your Messiah, he rose again from the dead. And then he told them something that's very important. And I would say, this thing that Peter told them is something that is missing in a lot of preaching today. And I would take it a step further and say, because this ingredient, is missing in a lot of preaching, you may have a lot of people that think they are Christians but actually are not. Let's identify what that ingredient is. It's found here in Acts chapter three, verse 19. Peter says, repent therefore and be converted that your sins may be blotted out so times of refreshing will come from the presence of the Lord. The secret ingredient, the thing we don't hear enough about repentance. He told them to repent. I bring this up because sometimes you hear sermons where people are told they're loved by God. That's true. They're told that God has a plan for them. That's true. They're told that Christ died on the cross for them. That too is true. They're told that Christ rose again from the dead. Yes, that's all true. They're told they must receive Jesus into their life as their Savior and Lord. Absolutely true. But they're not told to repent. And here Peter says you must repent and be converted so your sins may be blotted out. What does it mean to repent? It doesn't just mean being sorry for something. It means you're sorry enough to stop. The Bible says godly sorrow produces repentance. I mean, you can shed tears over a sin, but until you repent, you've missed the point. I can shed tears chopping an onion. No, you want to change your direction. The word repent is a military term. It means to do an about face. And so you're going now away from sin, repenting. Repent and be converted. And if I do that, what will happen? I read that my sins will be blotted out. It's a very interesting phrase, blotted out. The word means to wash off, to erase, and obliterate. Again, to wash off, to erase, and obliterate. The word "blood" is interesting because back in the days that this was written, when they would write on papyrus, uh, and they would use this special ink. The ink had no acid on it, so it would not bite into the papyrus. So it could be removed very easily. A wet sponge could remove everything you had just written. So this was known to the people. So when God says, I'll blot something out or I'll wipe something away. It's like if you wrote on a whiteboard, right? Not with a temporary marker, not a permanent one. I've made that mistake using a Sharpie on a whiteboard. That's hard to get off, but you use the markers that are made for the whiteboard and you get out that little eraser and you wipe it and it's clean, it's removed. When you repent of your sin, when you're sorry for what you've done and you change your behavior, God blots out Your sin, he wipes it away, he forgives it, he obliterates it, he erases it, and he forgets it. Yes, he forgets it. God says there's sins and iniquities, well, I remember no more. Why then do we choose to remember what God has chosen to forget? Do you think there's some intrinsic value in bringing up your sins and mulling over them and going over them again and again and again? You don't need to do that. God has forgiven them. He's forgotten them. And as far as the east is from the west is as far as God has put your sins away from you. And when you repent of your sin, what happens? Times of refreshment come from the presence of the Lord. That word used there for refresh means rest, relief, respite, and refreshment. Could you use some refreshment? Could you use some rest and relief from your sin? If you repent of your sin, God will forgive you. He'll forget your sins. He'll wipe them away, and he will refresh you. Okay, wow, this was a powerful message. 5,000 people believed as a result of it. Oh, well, there's these religious leaders called the Sadducees. By the way, the Sadducees were always fighting with the Pharisees. They're all in positions of power and the one thing they had in common is they were against Jesus and they were against Christians, but they were also against each other. The Pharisees were very conservative theologically. The Sadducees kind of had their own take on things. For instance, the Sadducees did not believe there was a resurrection from the dead. while well, the Pharisees did. So the Sadducees did not believe there was an afterlife. Uh, maybe that's where they got their name, Sadducee. If you don't believe there's an afterlife, You're sad, you see? So the Sadducees, they're upset by this, and so they bring Peter and John before the Sanhedrin, which is sort of the religious supreme court of the day. So this is a big deal to be brought before the supreme court. Here's what happened next, Acts chapter four, verse seven. And they brought the two disciples and demanded, by what power, whose name have you done this? Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, leaders and elders of our nation, are we being questioned because we've done a good deed for a crippled man? Peter asked, do you wanna know how he was healed? Let Let me clearly state to you and all the people of Israel, he was healed in the name of and the power of Jesus Christ from Nazareth. This man you crucified, whom God has raised from the dead, For Jesus is the one referred to in the scriptures where it says the stone that the builders rejected has now become the cornerstone and their salvation and no one else. Peter says there is no other name in all of heaven for people to call upon to save them. Now the members of the council were amazed when they saw the boldness of Peter and John and they could see they were ordinary men who had no special training and they recognized that they were men who had been with Jesus And since the man who had been healed was standing right there among them, the council had nothing to say. Okay, let's see if we can identify some earmarks, some ways to identify a person who has been with Jesus, a person who is walking with Jesus. If you're taking notes, here's point number one. A person who has been with Jesus will boldly share their faith. Let me say that again, a person who has been with Jesus will boldly share their faith. Let's not forget, this is the same Peter that denied his Lord, not once, not twice, but three times. And now here he is, preaching in front of religious leaders, calling people to Christ, seeing 5,000 come to the Lord on this occasion, another 3,000 a little bit earlier on the day of Pentecost. Where did Peter get this courage? It came, of course, from the Holy Spirit. And it came from his relationship with Christ. And when you're walking with the Lord, sharing your faith will come rather easily. It'll be the overflow of a Christ-filled life. Peter certainly had that. Number two, a person who has been with Jesus will know their Bible. A person who has been with Jesus will know their Bible. It's clear from this message that Peter gave, He knew scripture. He quoted it from memory. He didn't have an iPad up there. He wasn't Googling this. This was coming to him from the Holy Spirit because he spent time in the word of God. Listen, if you want a closer relationship with God, you need to spend time with God reading his word. Jesus said, lo, in the volume of the book, I have come. This will give you a burning heart. You remember the story in the book of Luke, the Gospel of Luke. There were two discouraged disciples who were walking away from Jerusalem. This is after Christ was crucified and before he rose again from the dead. They were on a road called Emmaus and along comes a visitor, a stranger, and he joins them. What these two disciples didn't know is the stranger was the risen Lord. Jesus was walking down the road with them. And so the stranger asked, hey guys, what's going on? And they said, haven't you heard about the things of Jesus of Nazareth? And Jesus of Nazareth says, no, what things? So they end up telling Jesus about Jesus. And by the way, they didn't do a very good job because they were very disappointed and felt that he had failed them and let them down. And uh, he listened to them for a while. And then he says, you guys, you're missing the whole point. I'm loosely paraphrasing. Don't you know what the prophets uh, prophets have spoken about Christ? And then Jesus gave them a guided tour of all of the scriptures or types or pictures of Jesus in the Old Testament. As they're listening to this guy, they're thinking, this guy's like a Bible scholar. This guy knows the Bible so well, you'd think he wrote the book, getting warmer. As they come to the end of their journey, Jesus reveals himself to them. And then he leaves. And I love what they said. They said, did not our hearts burn within us while he walked with us on the way and opened to us the scripture? See, if you want a burning heart, spend time in the Bible. Peter certainly did that. So he was a bold witness for his faith. He knew the scripture. And here's another thing. We don't like this one as much. If you have been with Jesus, if you're walking with Jesus, you're going to be persecuted, the religious leaders read the riot act to Peter and John and tell them to cease and desist from spreading this message about Jesus. Look at Acts chapter four, verse 17. To keep them from spreading their propaganda any further. That's how they viewed what Peter and John were doing. Peter and John were preaching the gospel, but the religious leaders perceived it as propaganda To stop them from speaking this propaganda, they warned them not to speak to anyone in Jesus' name again. So they called the apostles back in and commanded them never again to speak or teach in the name of Jesus. Wow, this is first century cancel culture, isn't it? What is cancel culture? It's when you are told you cannot hold that opinion and you cannot express that opinion, and if you do, we'll remove your social media account, or if you do, we'll attack you on social media, or if you do, we'll protest you, or we'll do something to stop you, we'll cancel you. This was cancel culture. We had it then, and we have it now, but listen to this. The gospel cannot and will not be canceled or silenced in the first century or the 21st century. Oh, people will try, but they will ultimately fail. Notice that the name of Jesus was the issue. Stop speaking in the name of Jesus. Stop praying in the name of Jesus. Why is that such a big deal? Because there's power in the name of Jesus. The Bible says that the name of Jesus Christ, every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that he is the Lord to the glory of God the Father. Why is it? That people use the name of Jesus uh, to make a point. They'll say, Oh, Christ, or or Jesus, this, or it's crazy. And sometimes these people are atheists. Why do they invoke the name of someone they don't even believe in? You'd think the last name they'd ever want to utter is the name of Jesus. I was pumping gas not too long ago and some guy I don't know what caused him to say He said, Jesus Christ. I said, hey, careful, he might answer you sometime. There's power in the name of Jesus, and in a backhanded way, a non-believer, by using that name as an expletive, or to punctuate a point, is acknowledging the power of the name. Stop speaking in the name of Jesus. Listen, never stop speaking in the name of Jesus. Never stop praying for people in the name of Jesus. But when you do that, be forewarned, you will be persecuted. Jesus said in John chapter 15, a servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they're gonna persecute you. And if they had listened to me, they would listen to you. The people of this world will hate you because you belong to me. Hey, let's be honest. This is one of the hardest things about being a Christian. Especially if you want to be liked and you want to be popular. People will hate you simply because you believe in his name. And by the way, if everyone likes you, I don't know how well you're communicating your faith. Because the Bible says beware when all men speak well of you because that's how the fathers treated the false prophets there in Luke 6:26. So the fact is, if and when you are persecuted, insulted, made fun of, marginalized or even canceled for your faith in Christ, wear it as a badge of honor. Jesus said in Matthew chapter 5 as he wraps up the beatitudes, God blesses you when people mock you and persecute you and lie about you and say all kinds of evil things against you because you are my followers. And he says, be happy about it. Be very glad for a great reward awaits you in heaven. That's awesome, isn't it? Oh man, I'm being persecuted. What should I do? Rejoice. Rejoice because it sounds like you're doing your job. Let me just add this caveat Make sure you're being persecuted for the right reason. Because the Bible says we should rejoice when we're persecuted for righteousness sake. Don't be persecuted because you're mean, or impatient, or rude, or overbearing. I pray that the persecution comes because you're a righteous man or woman. So let's wrap this up. Number one, a person who has been with Jesus will be bold in their witness. Number two, a person who has been with Jesus will be a student of scripture. Thirdly, a person who has been with Jesus will be persecuted. One more point, this is the last one. A person who has been with Jesus will be a person of prayer. After Peter and John were told they could no longer speak about Jesus, they decided to get together with the other believers and have a prayer meeting. Look at your Bible again, Acts chapter four, verse 29. Here's their prayer. Now, O Lord, hear their threats and give your servants great boldness in their preaching. Send your healing power. May miraculous signs and wonders be done through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. And after this prayer, the building where they were meeting shook and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and they preached the word of God with boldness. So here's just a, a closing few thoughts about this prayer they prayed together. Hey, you know when, when something bad has happened or something hard is happening or you have some challenge, get together with your Christian friends and pray. Don't isolate. Get together with other believers and say, man, I'm burdened. This is why uh, a small group is so good and we encourage you all to become part of a Harvest small group. Now, if you can do it in person, I encourage you to do that, but we have Online groups as well, if you look in your screen, there's information about how you can join a harvest group. But it's great to have a group of people to pray with, to share your burdens with. The Bible says, bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. And these people prayed together. Look at Acts chapter two, verse 23. After they were freed, Peter and John returned to the other believers and told them what the leading priests and elders had said, and all the believers lifted their their voices together to prayer in God. There's power in united prayer. Jesus said, if any two of you will agree together here on earth concerning anything you ask of my Father in heaven, it will be done for you. So pray with other believers. Number two. I love this one. They acknowledged the sovereignty of God. Verse 24, they said, O sovereign Lord, creator of heaven and earth and the sea and everything that is in them. You know, it's really important to remind yourself of the greatness of God. In the Lord's Prayer, which is really the template for all prayer, because one day the disciples came to Jesus and said, Lord, teach us to pray. They didn't say, Lord, teach us a prayer though you can pray the Lord's Prayer verbatim. It's a beautiful prayer. But it's a template, it's a model for prayer. Lord, teach us to pray, he says, after this manner, therefore you should pray, our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, your will be done, on earth as it is in heaven, and so forth. But notice it starts out with an acknowledgement of the greatness of God. And that's what the apostles did, that's what the believers did. Oh sovereign Lord, the word sovereign means God is in control. I like I like Chuck Swindoll's definition of the sovereignty of God. He says, and I quote, God is able to do what he pleases with whomever he chooses whenever he wishes. End quote. Lord, you're sovereign. Lord, you're in control. And Lord, you're more powerful than they are. They're the ruling authorities. But you're the ultimate ruling authority. So we go to the ultimate authority, O sovereign Lord. And then they pray for the will of God. Look at verse 29, O Lord, consider their threats and give us your servants great boldness in preaching your word. You would have thought they would have prayed, O Lord, make them stop. Make them stop harassing us. No, they said, Lord, uh, we wanna just make you aware of this. Be aware of what they're saying and give us even more boldness to preach your word. They did not pray that they would have a break from persecution, but rather that they might have more boldness while being persecuted. Spurgeon, the preacher of days gone by, once said this, quote, Lord, I do not ask for a lighter load, I ask for a stronger back, end quote. And that kind of prayer is heard in heaven because look at the reaction of God. We read that after this prayer, verse 31, the meeting place shook and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and they preached the word of God with boldness. The book of Acts is about the work of the Holy Spirit through ordinary people that changed their world. It was the Spirit of God working through the word of God in the hearts of the people of God. And this still happens today, the Spirit of God wants to work through the word of God in your heart and mind. And notice they were filled with the Holy Spirit. You might say, wait, weren't they filled with the Holy Spirit on the day of Pentecost? Yes, they were. And here they're filled with the Holy Spirit again. And that happened to them again and again and again. And that's why we should say to the Lord all the time, pretty much every day, if you remember, Lord, fill me with your Holy Spirit. Ephesians five says, be being filled with the Holy Spirit, speaking to yourself in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody in your hearts to the Lord. So every day we should ask the Lord to fill us and refill us and refill us again, and again and again we pray that prayer. This is why these people changed their world, because they had been with Jesus. Let me ask this in closing, have you been with Jesus? Or let me put it another way, do you know Jesus? in a personal way. Yes, Jesus Christ died on the cross for your sin and he rose again from the dead and he can forgive you but you must believe in him and you must repent of your sin. You must turn from your sin and what will happen if you do that? The Bible promises God will wipe the slate clean. He'll he'll remove it. He'll refresh you with rest and he can do that right now. I know that I'm speaking to somebody who is living under the guilt and load of sin. Maybe you're facing the repercussions of some stupid things that you did. Maybe you're just feeling the, the guilt in your own heart because of the way you've treated your family or, or the things that you've said or the things that you've done and, and you're trying to get rid of that guilt. You think maybe if you drink more, if you use drugs or party harder or whatever it is, that the guilt will go away. You You can't, make guilt go away. Guilt is a symptom of a deeper problem. See, the deeper problem is sin. Sin produces guilt. In fact, guilt means your conscience is working. I know sometimes people say guilt is bad. No, guilt can be good. Guilt can be good if it reminds you that you need God. And that guilt is there to say to you, you can't handle this on your own. Why don't you get to the root of the problem, which is your sin that is separating you from the Lord, right now and why don't you ask him to forgive you of that sin and then the sin will be removed and the guilt will be removed as well. Jesus Christ, the son of God, who died on the cross and rose again from the dead is here right now, standing at the door of your life and knocking. And he's saying if you'll hear his voice and open the door, he will come in. Would you like Christ to come into your life? Would you like your sin forgiven? Would you like to know that when you die, you will go to heaven? Would you like to find the meaning and purpose of life? If so, I'm gonna lead you in a simple prayer. I would ask that you would pray this prayer after me. You can pray it out loud if you like, but pray this prayer with me. And by the way, this year alone, we have seen 60,000 people pray this prayer that we know of and ask for a new believer's Bible, which I'll tell you about in a moment. So you can pray this prayer as well. So if you're ready to ask Christ to come into your life, pray this with me right now. Let's pray. Pray these words if you would, please. Lord Jesus, I know that I'm a sinner, but I know that you're the Savior who died on the cross for my sin. I'm sorry for that sin, Lord. I turn from it, and I ask you to come into my life. I repent of all sin, and I choose to follow you from this moment forward. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Hey, everybody. Thanks for listening to this podcast. To learn more about Harvest Ministries, follow this show and consider supporting it. Just go to harvest.org. And to find out how to know God personally, go to harvest.org and click on Know God.